Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can always find me at karenhager.com. And if you're looking for squillions more episodes of Out of the Fog, you'll find them in our new home on Anchor FM and Spotify. So check out anchor.fm out of the fog or find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Now then, it takes real courage to be empathic and trusting and working with the emotions and feelings and knowledge we pick up intuitively. That is an art form. Elaine Clayton is my guest today. She's here to help us understand empathy and learn how we can use that special kind of insight to find out about ourselves, about our place in the universe, and learn how to be protected and confident as we explore. Are you ready to meet her? Elaine Clayton is an internationally known author, artist, teacher, intuitive healing arts practitioner, and Reiki master in New York City, Connecticut, and Atlanta. Her books on intuitive intelligence and creativity include The Way of the Empath, that's her new one, the one we'll be talking about today, Making Marks, Discover the Art of Intuitive Drawing, and Illuminara Intuitive Journal. She is also the author and illustrator of many books for children, including Pulitzer Prize-winning author Jane Smiley and Gregory Maguire, who's the author of the popular novel that birthed the smash hit Broadway play, Wicked. Other new titles from Elaine include books in a little bit of series, including a little bit of angels and a little bit of fairies. Find out more about Elaine and her work at ElaineClayton.com. Elaine, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm wondering, maybe we should just get like, get the definitions part out of the way. How do you define what an empath is? That's a really juicy one because there are so many ways each of us could talk about that. Right. You know, um, we each do have our own definition of what that means. And I think it's kind of funny, but we definitely know what it is when we feel we don't receive empathy, mm. you know, that you could start right there. We know what it feels like to not receive the sense that some, someone cares or is recognizing how I feel. And that's a really, really isolating sensation and frustrating. So we know that. And then otherwise, there are ways in which um, we, can, we can talk about what is it to be an empath. There's a mental, intellectual way in, in where we um, imagine what it would be like to, let's say right now, the situation in Ukraine. I don't know what it's like to have a siren go off and it literally means that I should take cover, that something extremely violent might blow up the house across the street or my own. I've never been through that. So I don't know what that's like, but I can imagine, I can cognitively conjure up what that might feel like. And so there's a mental intellectual response that I can have where I can sense um, empathy mentally. And then there's another way in which, and this is where we talk about people who are predisposed in a way by way of their personality or just their essence to feel empathy in a different way than what would be considered just intellectual. 
Um, and that would be where you feel the feelings of others. And it, it's like a physiological experience. You encounter someone or a situation and you feel the emotions so viscerally, you may have your nervous system starts going, you feel a flutter in your heart or your stomach hurts, um, that kind of thing, where the feelings for others can be so strong as to, um, you know, be felt head to toe physically, emotionally. So, you know, I would say that when you feel that you are empathic naturally, you're someone who's probably always been that person in the room who feels the feelings that no one's talking about. If all that makes sense. It does. And it, I can see how it would be, it could be good, interesting, spark your curiosity to feel the things no one's talking about. I can also imagine how that could be a burden or almost feel harmful to the person feeling the things. Well, you know, um, that's a really good point. I think that where it's harmful, I, I try not to talk about empathy in terms of um, it, it as a bad thing. I don't, I don't think empathy is ever a bad thing. It's how we recognize it and cope with it and direct it. We can take anything good and direct it um, in a way that can have a destructive impact impact on a person. I think that um, it is definitely overwhelming to be an empath and to feel the feelings of others or to perceive what you what you aren't even sure you think see what happens with empaths is they don't even know it's their own you know they, they think I had a great day and suddenly I'm not having a great day. why? If they don't ask that question, they're just going around with a lot of emotions that really are not even theirs. So that's where it's overwhelming, where there are no, there's no recognition that that's what's happening. And nobody really talks about it. So the impact in general has to figure that out on their own. Um, and then I think what you when you talk about it being, uh, what did you say, overwhelming or harmful? is where, you know, if I don't have healthy boundaries and I assume that I'm responsible for the feelings of others um, in a way that can be really detrimental to me, that's, that's troubling. That, that's another thing. Empaths have a lot to figure out. They have to realize that they're naturally absorbers of other people's feelings and then what to do with it, how to use it in a way that isn't going to hurt the self or others. So how, do, how does someone hurt someone else? How does an empath hurt someone else? Um, possibly by assuming responsibility for them and getting involved in ways that enable someone to um, take advantage. That's one way. I think, I think most empaths feel like there was a, a time when they realized that they didn't have to be responsible for others. And if not, they're surprised to realize, oh, that's what the issue is. I'm actually empathic and these feelings that I'm feeling aren't really mine. Yeah. Because it can make, boy, can it make a sticky, confusing mixture if you're not sure what belongs to you and yes. you're feeling responsible like that can make of a heck of a tangle 
It's so true. And um, so I guess while we're maturing and while we are learning about relationships and ourselves and in relation to other people, all of us to some degree encounter, well, I want to say it's almost comical, but we encounter all kinds of, um, you know, trouble because we're learning how to relate and what is it to relate and who am I when I'm in a relationship. And so anyone in the world will find a relationship complex, but I do think you're right that for the empath, um, you know, usually empaths describe getting involved with people who needed them or that they felt sorry for unconsciously. There's a lot of stuff we do that is in the subconscious. It's stuff we're not aware that we're doing. And maybe only after we're out of a scrape of some kind, we evaluate and say, Oh, that person was never good for me. Why was I with that person? Oh, I think I felt sorry for them. And, you know, one thing led to another, um, or it's even, you know, every case by case, but it's, it's very dynamic and very interesting. And hopefully we're all learning about ourselves and hopefully we learn how to have empathy, but not, not let the ego tell us that we're responsible for someone else. We only are responsible for our own choices and for the ways in which our choices impact others um, to a degree. Right. But yeah, I don't know if you ever had that experience where you, you wondered why you were involved. I mean, we, we don't know till we know, right. We're not conscious until we are. So. Well, and I think anytime I agree with you about thinking of um, being an empath as a positive thing, not a negative thing. And I disagree with the, there was a trend there for a while about how painful it was, how burdensome it was, how, Oh no, there was, and there was that trend, but I agree with you, Elaine. And I feel like, when, when we have something a little extra, like that, maybe extra way of feeling into the feelings, perceiving what isn't always said uh, explicitly, when we have that extra something, it also gives us extra mm, possibility for doing work on ourselves. So that mm -hmm. if I carry that extra ability to feel a little bit of what you're feeling, I'm now also extra responsible for sorting out what my feelings are and what yours are and what my responsibility is to you yes, and where yeah, that absolutely. might end. Yeah, really beautiful point because um, we're all really going on all we can, which is our own perception, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that beautiful thing about oneness that whatever I see in you is a reflection of something within me. And so, um, you know, we, we go on our way and along the way we find out more about ourselves, but it does take being consciously aware. And I love what you said too, about the trend. I was noticing a trend too, and it, it will be out there because people will want to say it's somehow toxic to have empathy. And, you know, I'm not going there with, um, that, because I think that that can be more sensational and it's just a negative slant on things. We, we don't need less empathy. We just need to know how to care for each other in a way that is beneficial and healthy and positive. Yeah. I, and I would just, I would just add to that. I it's, I think it's time to unleash the empaths. We need more empaths. Come on empaths. Where are you hiding? Right. Yeah. Let's put that mature self-aware extra sense 
of togetherness and fellow feeling and kindness and connection. Let's put that out in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It is really time for, it's time for us to talk about it. Um, And that way, you know, talking about the, the painful aspects of being an empath can empower empaths because they may not realize, like I said, you know, a lot of us, you have a eureka moment at some point where you realize, oh, these aren't my feelings. These are the feelings of the person I was just with, even though we didn't talk about that. I was absorbing, you know, there. And then, so it takes a lot of introspection and um, a willingness, you know, we talked about it, takes some courage. Um, it takes courage to be vulnerable. Empaths are usually the ones who are very um, open about their own feelings and they're not afraid to be vulnerable. Um, you know, early on, I, I felt that v- vulnerability is really kind of a, an empowerment. Again, if you don't make yourself into a victim with it, but to pretend we're not v- vulnerable is a mistake, I think. Mm-hmm. that's kind of false armor to me to pretend that you're not vulnerable because as long as we're alive, you know, we know we're temporary. There are countless ways in which we, we are vulnerable, but that doesn't have to be, um, that can be something that enhances life. And there's some honesty in admitting the ways in which we're, we're vulnerable. Um, I guess everyone's case is different. And so everyone's experience with, what it is to be empathic will have its own nuances. You are listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Elaine Clayton. Her new book is The Way of the Empath, How Compassion, Empathy, and Intuition Can Heal Your World. And you can find out more about Elaine and her work. See some of her beautiful art at elaineclayton.com. That's Elaine, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N, elaineclayton.com. So Elaine, when we realize that vulnerability and we realize that we have that extra sense, that extra knowing, that brings with it a need for protection that is authentic, not that false idea, nothing can hurt me, or the false idea, everything is going to hurt me, but it asks us to kind of put in place some balanced protection. How can empaths ground and protect themselves so that we can go do good stuff in the world without falling apart all the time? That's a good question too. And it's so juicy because there's so many ways that we can do that in a practical sense. And then almost really a spiritual conscience about the consciousness of our um, perception. So like when, when I talked about it, it's so important to be consciously aware if you're empathic um, as a first step because you, you wouldn't know to, to uh, use any of the, the other, you know, more practical ways to offer yourself protection unless you realize that you have this thing that happens where you pick up on the feelings of others. So the first step for me, I think, is to acknowledge that you may be feeling feelings that aren't yours, but they feel just like yours. And to give yourself permission to um, not have to outright own someone else's situation. And it's okay for you to be well and do well. Um, It won't hurt them if you are well and you do well, but that you also are not responsible. I mean, I'm talking about, you might think, because our world is so much um, about win and lose, 
Um, we're taught from a very early age to be, you know, very um, aware that we can be shamed if we're wrong or if we lose because there's perception of who's the winner. So you can, if an empath is someone who might even say, I didn't want to get an A on my test because it would make my friend feel bad because she gets D's in this class. It can be that, you know, it can start out like that where a kid is doing that. So the more we listen to each other and, and find out, you know, how, how we're coping with um, the world, we can, we can actually help someone else realize they're empathic as well as do that for ourselves. And then there are some practical ways. Um, I think it's good to um, acknowledge too, again, what the ego does. The ego does love to say, oh, I know this, so therefore I'm responsible for it. And I can only tell you what I do personally. I just really say a prayer that the best situation be given to someone and that if I'm deeming the situation unhealthy for me, it's not about judging a person, more so the situation that it might put me in. I can say that there are ways in which I'm able to or not able to involve myself, but say a prayer and ask for that person to be healed or to find exactly what they need. Um, so that puts me in a disposition of self-protection because I'm not just throwing myself in at my own peril. Um, I'm, I'm allowing myself to be a part of a greater mystery that maybe knows better than I do. So there's, there's that. And then, um, you know, I will go places and pay attention to how my body feels. Um, I had to learn how to do that too and relearn because we can ignore it so easily. But, you know, have you ever had that thing where you walk into a room, maybe it's a party or something, and you immediately feel regret that you're there or you feel uh, nervous or you feel something in your stomach? Oh, yes. You're, right? And your oh, mind? Yeah. yeah, the brain we love and emphasize so much in our world has not figured it out yet. But the body has, the, the rest of us have, has figured it out. So there, so um, later we may, if we ignore it, we may stay and we may be very unhappy the whole time we're there only to discover later why that was happening because we were able to process it um, mentally. A lot of this information comes in a way that we weren't trained to pay attention to. We were not told ever in school, what does your gut tell you about math? What is, what are your, how do you feel about your science class? You know, it's a rare thing for kids to be taught to pay attention to how they feel in the place where we put them every day, right? Yeah. Um, we're getting better at it, but I never, no one ever asked me how I felt about any of the things I was dealing with. Um, if, if I was asked, it might've been, my parents at some point, but really people get busy and we don't even know to ask. So we weren't trained to even acknowledge that we have that response. So um, another thing I like to do is besides trying to remember to pay attention to how I feel. And if I don't feel right, I can leave. I don't have to stay. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I think it's fun to, to use some of the native American wisdom, uh, the animal medicine wisdom. So one of the things that I like to do is 
you pretend to be a fox. So the wisdom that fox gives us is invisibility. You know, like if you're outside having a picnic, you can be watched by a fox and you have no idea they're there. Um, So it's kind of fun, you know, next time you go to Trader Joe's or something, just pretend no one can see me. No one can see me. And it's being playful, believe it or not, playful um, attitudes and imagination are one of your best protectors. Uh, we, we also downplay the imagination. We just act like it's just tomfoolery. It's not anything valid yet. The imagination is really what we're made of. We're made of creative ingenuity and all things that we use every day and that we you know, rely on existed in an imaginary realm before they were brought into 3D, you know, mm-hmm. before someone thought, figured out how to create it. So you can do creative visualization to see yourself protected and to see yourself um, maybe not so high profile when you want to be ignored. And, and it's good to practice and play with those things. How can it protect us to enter a room and, and not be seen? Yeah, it just might be good. It may mean that you don't have to draw a lot of attention to yourself. That way you're better able to um, focus on how things are feeling and how safe you feel in the environment and so forth. I love that. I think a lot of protection is taking our own power back. And Mm -hmm. I love what you said about those playful, but um, like um, intentional ways of remembering our own power. I can leave if I need to leave. I can set the intention that I am not seen or that I kind of hover on the outskirts of this conversation or whatever this is so that Mm -hmm. I can see without being like getting stuff spilled all over me. I I love that idea. It feels to me like imagination is such an important component of how we express ourselves intuitively. And I know for you, especially creative expression. And in the couple minutes we have left together, I just wanted to ask you about the process of empathic drawing that you talk about in the book. There's something that happens when we can get out of the way and just let creativity flow through us that can be wonderfully healing. I'm so glad you asked about that because I think it's so important. So one of my big missions in life, I guess, is to try to get people to feel empowered through the most natural thing we all have as humans. And that is the innate sort of um, almost just reflex to make a mark. We were just born doing it. You know, babies do it on their high chair with the food, with their fingers. It's delightful to see a blank surface get changed. And, you know, I don't know if you're like me, most kids do draw on the wall at some point and then they discover, oh, I wasn't supposed to do that, you know. (laughs) Um, So what happens is we have that just unhindered, you know, beautiful, expressive propensity to do the most basic thing, which is literally making a mark. from the earliest age, and then it gradually gets, I think, devalued. Um, People call it a scribble, or they call it a doodle. It's kind of nothing important. And so by the time kids hit the age of reason, you know, a lot of forces come together. And basically, anyone who draws is just kind of fooling around and, and whatever. Well, 
if you realize that it's a profoundly powerful reflection of your 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 unique that only you have in the way that you have it unlike any other person that ever was or will be the ability to create if you can take just a pencil and a piece of paper and draw loosely then you you have tapped into that and you're it's a form of meditation. So if you, so the way I have people do it is close your eyes and use your non-dominant hand, because I found that the minute someone looks at what they're drawing, they stop because they're afraid of being criticized. They're afraid of being, um, feeling critical themselves of what they drew. Um, but I realized that there's this phenomenon here where you can draw like that with your eyes closed and non-dominant hand. I call it stream drawing because you get into the stream of consciousness flow, just like when, when you're dreaming, but you're actually being creative too at the same time in a tangible way. And so amazing things happen um, when you do that, not just only for yourself, but it can, it can be something that you do with others or for on behalf of someone else and see into it. There's, there are a couple of steps that are really easy. It's not like, hard or anything. It's just drawing with some, with your heart open, being aware of your heart and your feelings, and then gazing at what you drew. And you may just want to be playful with it. And it basically the whole thing is done in a playful, imaginative spirit. Um, but then after gazing, you might realize that some thoughts and feelings surface. And so you jot them down and honor them. Mm. Uh, the simplest line brings out a lot of emotion just one line says so much, especially if you compare two different lines, the personality in one may be slightly different than the expression of another and they speak volumes. So there's something really, really intuitive and beautiful in the simplest line drawn. And yet it's the one thing we can all do that we were not encouraged to do. So um, I love it. I love helping people regain that sense of creative spirit that is theirs, that empowers them to really feel grounded and to feel like the, the authority of their own life. You know, I, I actually think social engineering is partly why things like that weren't valued because what the world you know, wants to kind of convince us that we should be this, that, or the other, instead of really dealing with people who are, empowered you know so mm. that's interesting and this is the place where we need to unleash the empaths in a in a world with so much division when we um talk about who's winning or who's losing where there's so much reactivity and separation someone with the ability to see the personality in the single line somebody with the ability to like flow and then look and feel into that flow whether it's your stuff or somebody else's stuff, these are, these are the people we need. It feels like to me, that kind of insight, that kind of playfulness, that kind of curiosity, that's who we need right now. It feels like. I, yeah. I think, and it feels like we need to acknowledge each other and to, and to say to someone, you count, you matter. Um, you know, anyone can look at a mark and, and be asked, what does that say to you? And look at this other mark on this piece of paper. Does that say something different? And it's a matter of being curious 
about the person and their feelings and their experience and then valuing it a little bit more and learning to listen, you know? So it's recognizing that people actually, their thoughts and their feelings matter and can make a huge difference in the world. And just, just that much right there starts, starts something. If you ask me, just being a little curious about how someone else feels or what their experience has been is kind of miraculous right there. Um, you know, so if we can start to do that a little bit more and realize that everyone um, carries within them something very sacred and it can be expressed outwardly in the most simple way and it can be um, valued by, you know, all of us um, as we go along and as we encounter people in situations, just knowing that we each carry a sacred gift unique to that person to that person and that person that each of us, you know, really, we really do have a volume of something miraculous within us. And I think if just change the way we approach each other, maybe we'll stop being so polarized. I don't know, but I hope so. I hope so too. Elaine, thank you for talking with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor. That is Elaine Clayton, and her new book is The Way of the Empath, How Compassion, Empathy, and Intuition Can Heal Your World. There's a lot of practical goodness in this book, steps to take, things to explore. So it's highly recommended, The Way of the Empath by Elaine Clayton. And you can find out more about Elaine and her work at elaineclayton.com. And you can always find me at karenhager.com. That's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. And you can even book a private session with me if you're so inclined. And you can follow the fun on Instagram where I'm Fog City Psychic. You'll get all the latest out of the fog content, sure. But you also get my obsession with Maisie the puppy. She's growing by leaps and bounds. You can see what's next on my up on my puzzle board because I love to do jigsaw puzzles. See pictures of beautiful yarn. Who knows what you're going to find there? That's Fog City Psychic on Instagram. And please do rate and review this show wherever you're picking it up. That helps us get feedback about how we're doing. And it also helps this podcast get into more ears. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.